HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hello to everyone. I'm Louisa Kasdan, your host for Let's Talk About Food, a podcast devoted to first-person storytelling where food plays a pivotal, if not a starring role. Everyone has a food story. Food is at the heart of human connection, at the center of love, of ritual, of need and want, and most of all, food creates community. And community is what we crave. Today we have our good friend Mike Siemens. We're speaking to him. He's in Tucson, Arizona, where he is the Corporate Director of Exercise Physiology at the Canyon Ranch Wellness Resort. What exactly is exercise physiology? Yeah, that's a great question. In a couple sentences, an exercise physiologist is a person who helps people prevent all the problems that happen to the human body when we age in a sedentary way. So if we think of what happens to our body when we age in a sedentary way, we lose muscle mass, we lose bone density, we lose aerobic function, we lose the ability to get off of a chair or something as practical as getting off the toilet. So our job in exercise physiology is to create fun, engaging, safe exercise programs for people to do to help prevent all those things and basically live younger as long as possible. Thank you, Mike. That is an excellent explanation. Could you talk a little bit about some of the ways that food has influenced your life? I'd gone to college at the University of Illinois. I fell in love with late night pizza and beer and gained the proverbial 15 pounds of my freshman year. That summer between freshman and sophomore year, I swore to myself I was going to get in shape. And I started doing triathlons of all things back in 1983. And I remember reaching this amazing fitness in the next two or three years. And then I was visiting my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, who was living in Northern Illinois. And at age 90, she had a disabling stroke and she had to move out of her house that she'd lived in for 65 years into a care center. And I'll never forget at age 21 or 22, feeling on the top of the pinnacle of fitness and wellness, visiting this care center and walking in there, feeling physically omnipotent myself and the smell and the sight of these people in this care center really hit me. My voice is kind of choking up as I take myself there 30 some years ago. 
And I felt this calling at that time, this real calling that I'm put on this earth to prevent people from getting into this condition. So that was when I really galvanized my career choice to be an exercise physiologist and help people live younger, longer. I remember at a very young age, I was probably 10 or 12 years old. I grew up in this neighborhood about a mile outside of the main town of Urbana, Illinois, which is a very small college town located in East Central Illinois. The soil is as black as you can imagine, fertile soil laid down over millennia of tall grass prairie. And I grew up in this little town. My dad was a professor of agricultural engineering. And I remember my dad teaching me one day how to walk the fence row of Illinois looking for wild asparagus. Wild asparagus grows in Illinois, and we picked this wild asparagus. And about a year later, the next season of wild asparagus, I remember hanging out with this childhood friend of mine, Lynn Lynn, lived across the circle from our house. Imagine this enclave of homes, about 60 homes, a mile outside of Urbana, Illinois, two circles. They had the first circle of houses and the second circle of houses. And I had a paper route through these two circles. I could lay in bed. In fact, I tried this last night. I laid in bed and I envisioned each and every house. I was able to say the name of every single person on my paper route. (laughs) Unbelievably. I'm just hearkening back to another time, right, in my life. And um, Lynn Poor and I were great friends because we were born on the exact same day, May 31st of 1964. So, of course, when you're in first grade and you're born on the same day, everybody in the class thinks you're in love and you are destined to be husband and wife. So Lynn and I kind of followed that. We hung out a lot together. And one day in late April, early May of probably 1974 or 1976, I decided to take Lynn on a walk on that fence row and show her how to pick wild asparagus. So we walked about a mile total, half a mile down the fence row, half a mile back, and we ended up with two big handfuls of this fresh spring wild asparagus. And if you've ever lived through an Illinois winter, man, dark, depressing, gray clouds, cold weather. That's why I live in Arizona now. I think the longest I've gone without seeing the sun in Arizona since I moved here in 1987 is about 32 hours, maybe 40 hours. But back there, you know, the clouds would descend about October 1st or 2nd, and then you wouldn't see the sun again until maybe April. And it was one of those April sunshiny spring days. The brown grass that had died in the winter was laying down tired by the fence row and these green sprigs of asparagus were shooting up with hope and promise of spring. And we picked those little sprouts of asparagus and Lynn took me to her house and she cooked them up in a big pot and served them with some fresh butter and salt and maybe a little too much pepper, but it didn't really matter. And I sat there eating that bowl of asparagus and just being transformed into another place. And I thought, spring and sun and hope are in this food. And that was at age 12. So that's the time I realized food was really an important thing to me and captures my soul and my spirit. I think back to growing up with my parents. My dad um, spent his first couple of years teaching agricultural engineering at Cornell University. And back then they had a big promotion in the ag college to get people to eat more chicken. And they came up with this recipe of Cornell barbecued chicken. And it's a white vinegar-based barbecue sauce that you mix up in a blender. So you've got apple cider vinegar 
and lots of pepper and tons of salt and poultry seasoning. And you homogenize that in a blender and then you dab that on the chicken as you're cooking it. And it creates this delicious, sweet, tangy barbecue sauce. And my dad would make this chicken for large groups of people. I'm talking 30, 40 people at a time, 50 people. He invented this stand-up grill with handles that you could rotate over. And that became a family tradition to make Cornell barbecued chicken. My mom was a canner. We had a big garden where we grew all kinds of fresh vegetables constantly. My dad would pride himself on growing turnips in the fall and burying them in a gunny sack in a hole about three feet deep and then walking out on a 10 degree below zero day in Illinois and digging up that burlap sack of turnips and then slicing them and putting them in the salad and making us young kids eat turnips, even though we didn't think they were very exciting at all. So lots of food throughout my my life, I remember dragging a wagon through my neighborhood, that same neighborhood I had that paper route in and selling vegetables door to door, a nickel for an ear of sweet corn, a penny for a tomato. So I've always loved food ever since that. And I realized how important that food is to my life since that day of asparagus with Lynn Poor. So how does all this translate for you? I mean, you see a ton of people coming in. They're in all states of psychic and physical disrepair. How do you get into the food part with them? I'm a big believer that 80 to 90% of the weight loss equation has to do with what kind of food you're putting in your body. Said in a simple way, you cannot out-exercise a crappy diet. So if you're eating food that is far away from nature, that doesn't look like food, that is processed, you're going to have a hard time achieving and staying at a healthy weight, not to mention all the inflammatory effects of these processed foods and so forth. So I start to plant the seed about connecting people with food. It always surprises me how many people do not enjoy cooking their own food or procuring their own food. I'm not judging them at all. But to me, a fantasy day would be going to three or four grocery stores, seeing what's fresh and available and coming home and getting inspiration from what I see in the market uh, for what I'm going to make for dinner and cook. So um, trying to plant the seed for people to connect more with their food, be an active part of their food and what they're eating, what they're preparing, and know what they're putting in their body, I think is really important for health and wellness. I'll give you an example. Growing up in the Midwest, right, tacos were a fantasy food. My dad grew up in California. He grew up on a farm in the high deserts of Antelope Valley near Lancaster, California. So he had a little Southwestern flair to his upbringing and brought tacos to our family or the desire to have tacos every once in a while. And I remember my mom would always pan fry some tortillas. She'd buy the soft tortillas, which were kind of hard to find in the Midwest in the 1970s and 80s. So in our family, I, of course, find some soft corn tortillas and fry them up in some oil to get a nice crispy shell, cut up a few of them at the end to make some tortilla chips that are freshly fried. I've got a nine-year-old boy and 11-year-old daughter that love to take part in making those tortilla chips. So they know that corn chips don't just come from a bag, that you can make them. You can take a tortilla, slice it up like a bicycle spoke wheel and put those in a frying pan and make some delicious homemade tortilla chips. So every Tuesday we have Taco Tuesday with black beans made in a Instapot. I've discovered the glory of that thing about a year ago and how we can go from rock hard black beans to delicious black beans in an hour. I put some 
jalapeno peppers in adobo sauce. Put a couple of those in the Instapot cooker that give the beans a really nice smoky flavor and um, make some guacamole and make some pico de gallo, some tomatoes with fresh green onions. And now if we make tacos and there's not all those accoutrements of the guacamole and the pico de gallo, my kids are wondering, where's the pico de gallo, dad? Like, Well, we didn't have any tomatoes today. I'm looking forward to harvesting my first round of salad greens here tonight. Actually, I had my nine-year-old boy out there the other day and he said, dad, I think the lettuce greens are ready for picking. And I said, let's taste them and try them. So we got down on our knees and we picked a little piece of arugula and tasted it. And it reminded me of how food is supposed to taste, right? And we both tasted this little sprig of arugula. And that kind of reminded me of the asparagus back in Illinois. There was real flavor. There was real excitement in that little leaf of arugula. And I handed the piece to my son and I said, this might be a little bitter for a young person, but try it and see what you think. And he chewed on it and said, yeah, it's a little bitter, dad, but it's good. It tastes like something. It tastes like food. So that, that warmed my heart to hear him say that. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. You have people who come in all the time, and they're hoping to come and in a week or less than a week totally reinvent themselves physically and healthily. What do you say? Somebody presents themselves to you and says, Mike, heal me. Tell me tell me how to live my life. Tell me how to eat. Tell me how to move. All humans basically know the secret to weight loss and getting healthier is move more, eat less. Why aren't we doing those things? We've got to figure out what is motivating us to eat when we're not hungry. I call that emotional hunger. What is causing us to not have the energy to exercise or not have the self-esteem to set aside an hour a day to do something good for ourselves instead of feeling like I've got to be the first one in the office and the last one to leave. What about our self-esteem doesn't allow us to say, hey, I'm worth an hour to exercise today and take care of myself. So I like to appeal to the emotional side of the equation. Um, Also, hearkening back to my professor, 
dad, I write out the simple energy balance equation on a big board. And the energy balance equation or calorie balance equation states calories in minus calories out equals what's left over, right? If we eat the food that's put in front of us in this society and move as much as you need to to get money in your wallet to go to the store and buy food, you're going to gain weight in our culture. You've got to be an outlier. And my job is to inspire you to be an outlier and have fun with it. You got to eat differently. You got to move differently. You've got to handle your stress differently. You've got to sleep differently. You've got to consume alcohol differently than the average American, or you're going to struggle with weight. What does that mean? That means we've got to figure out what to eat and what to drink for you. We've got to figure out your metabolism. Do you have enough muscle mass? Do you need to build some muscle with some weightlifting? Our bodies are made to move, and you've got to move every day. Your body's probably made to move five or six hours a day. Not necessarily with vigorous exercise, but get up off your butt and move around. So looking at those four things, food, metabolism, daily activities, and exercise, what do you think in your life you need to change and how are we going to do that? And then taking the exercise piece and making that pretty simple. Let's get out and move four days a week. Move more days of the week than not. Try to get your heart rate up to a challenging level. Let's keep your muscle mass strong as you age. Have worked with the same people 20 times, 30 times over the decades. And we can track their muscle mass every time they come. And if we see a trend of lowering muscle mass after a year or two, we really get on our soapbox and inspire them. Hey, are you doing your weightlifting? Are you eating enough protein to maintain that muscle mass? Because that's a huge contributor to your metabolism and your mobility. So to summarize, kind of keeping it simple, move more, really become a scientist of mindful eating, knowing what you're putting in your body, be in charge of what foods come into your house. Hey, I'm no saint here. If potato chips make their way into my house, particularly salt and pepper, ruffle cut potato chips, I will seek those out every night when I come home from work because that is tasty to me. Yum. However, I don't buy those often because I don't think that's the healthiest food. I don't want to be eating those every single day. The rule we have in our house, we really don't buy any commercially made baked goods. During this pandemic, I've fallen in love with sourdough. Never did that in my life and made my own sourdough starter. Was amazed to find out there are these yeast organisms living right in the flour that I buy in the store. Who knew? And sitting that out on my countertop for three weeks or two weeks and changing the flour every day and seeing it come to life. You're going to have baked goods. Make them yourself because it's just too easy to go to the store and buy a whole rack of cookies or a cake and, or potato chips. As a biological organism, we're made to seek out salt and sugar and fat. Um, but we just have to control the supply of those things a little bit. So, Mike, do you think people can change? And sustain a change? We like routine and we can become very complacent. This thing called aging is very insidious and slow. And we don't really realize how our function and mobility is eroding or changing. And so therefore, it's hard to take action against that until maybe it's too late or until some serious scare. If I eat healthy food, if I exercise, sleep, abstain from alcohol or minimize alcohol intake, I feel damn good. Why don't I want to feel this good all the time? So rather than motivating someone from a scare 
standpoint of like, you shouldn't drink so much. You shouldn't smoke. You should exercise. Coming at it from the angle of, look how much better you feel doing this. Wouldn't you rather feel this way than the other way? I'll give a quick example in my life with, with alcohol. You know, I've had times in my life where maybe I'm drinking one or two drinks most nights of the week. And as I slipped into my 40s and 50s, I started realizing, man, I don't feel so good if I have more than one beer or one glass of wine the next morning. It's a little hard to wake up. I'm a little foggy. I certainly don't feel as good during my morning workout. And gradually, I moved to having alcohol maybe one or two nights a week. I would come home from work and say, all right, I'm going to have a couple of beers and celebrate the beginning of the weekend. And then on my day off to exercise on my own or spend time with my family, I was not my sunshiny best. Not that I was hungover, but a little bit, I guess I was, but not dramatically hungover. And I started asking myself, do I really want to feel this way on my day off? So I actually scheduled a personal training session at a CrossFit gym. And I don't know if you've ever done any CrossFit type of workout before, but it is no picnic. And if you're not on your A game feeling great, it's a pretty terrible experience, I'll tell you. So all of a sudden, I was looking forward to my most challenging exercise workout on Friday morning, which all of a sudden made drinking any alcohol at all on a Thursday night a non-issue. And I realized, man, I feel so much better having done that vigorous workout than any beer or glass of wine ever tasted to me. I think that plants the seed for the greatest potential for change, feeling better and making that choice that, hey, I want to make that change in my lifestyle because I just plain and simply feel better when I live that way. Mike, what about the pandemic? Do you think it has had a large effect on people's personal health and the way they eat? Yeah, the pandemic's been tough and it's a long time for all of us. People are very interested in a reboot, a recovery. They're tired of feeling this way. They know they need to turn it around. They're a little lacking for motivation. The pandemic has gone on a lot longer than all of us ever thought it would and impacted all of our lives a lot more deeply than we ever thought it would now that the pandemic has been going on. People are eating more, drinking a lot more. What I want you to think about doing is let's change one thing today. One thing you can do differently. One way you can eat a little healthier. One way you can cut back on your portion sizes a little bit. One thing you can appreciate about your day. One little thing you can do that might be considered movement or exercise. Maybe Google home weightlifting. Pick one that makes sense for the equipment you have at home. Even just some simple body weight exercises. Let's do five push-ups. Let's do five squats to a chair. Let's do five stomach crunches on the floor. Three repeats of that. Done. Make a commitment to yourself to change one little thing about the way you eat and the way you move today. And we all know a new world is coming. The vaccine is getting distributed. Springtime is coming. We will return to a normal life and you can get healthy again. Mike, thank you so much for your words of wisdom and hope. I believe we can get healthy again. Mike Siemens is the Corporate Exercise Physiology Director at Canyon Ranch Wellness Resort. They are one of the world's first and preeminent wellness resorts. Thanks for listening. And thank you to our team, producer Rachel Gottbaum and sound engineer and composer Michael Moss of Soundscape Boston. 
You can find more of our stories at heritageradionetwork.org or by visiting our website, letstalkaboutfood.com, or find them on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's Talk About Food is powered by Simplecast. This podcast is supported by the Hunger to Health Collaboratory, a cross-sector leadership initiative dedicated to reducing the health consequences of hunger. With generous support from Stop and Shop, Hunger to Health Collaboratory convenes partners across sectors to advocate for health equity and food security. For more information, visit hungertohealthcollaboratory.org. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradio.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. 